Are we live? We are. It's recording. Cheers. Cheers happy to Mother's a, Day. Happy Mother's Day to you. When this comes out, it's going to be way past Mother's Day, but yeah. today is Mother's Day. Yes. So happy Mother's Day to all of our mother listeners. And do you to, like, and what? Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, and to the mothers of those who aren't mothers, I guess. Happy Mother's Day to your mom. You got to celebrate all the moms. Yeah. I don't know. Um, How's mm. your drink? This is freaking delicious, man. So I have started to do things that make me happy, whether it be big or small. Yeah, like preparing for your future self. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what I like to call it. So kind of like the task that you don't want to do right then, kind of like getting gas on your way home from work. And you're like, oh, no, I'll do it in the morning. Yeah, I'm really bad at that. But I started to buy things that I like. And so um, I like lavender lemonade. So good. And so I started making it. Just to give you like a little boost of serotonin when I'm having a bad day. Just <laughs> yeah. to bring some happiness. Just a little joy to yeah. life Just on making, those dark, dreary days. Yeah. And I started doing things like cleaning my whole room when I don't want to so that I have like... Happy space. Yes. There is nothing just, better than a fresh, clean room with clean sheets and a nice cozy blanket and just candles mm-hmm. and just happiness. And, like, I'll do all that. Um, or just, like, here's another example. Um, as creating an aesthetic, I think, is what the yeah. youngins say. <laughs> um, so, like, when I watch Harry Potter, I like to... Okay, I haven't done this recently because it's kind of getting hot. But in the winter, mm-hmm. I would light a fire in the fireplace. Yep. I would have Harry Potter up on the big screen. And we'll just be all snuggled and have, like, good snacks and stuff. Just to create, like, the full aesthetic so that you're happy yeah. in that time. And Harry Potter definitely yes. creates happiness. Yes. Love Harry Potter. But, yeah. By the way, I don't know if I said this on here, but I named my new car Luna. She's Luna Lovegood because she's my favorite on Harry Potter. Mine's Matilda. <laughs> I love that, though. That's cute. She's so a Matilda. Yes. Okay, so... I have a little bit, I'm going to try a little something different this week, but I found some really cool news pieces and I always save them to my phone and like screenshot them and I'm like, ooh, I'm going to talk about that on the podcast and Mm -hmm. then I totally forget about it and then it's like not relevant anymore so I'm like, well, delete. (laughs) But this week I was good. I've been good this week, you guys. I've been a busy bee working on things, Mm -hmm. sent up. Being productive. till. Evening sun until I go to work and then yeah. in the middle of the night too. Anyway, sun. That's a new word. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> I don't know. You know my brain's weird. So okay. I found this really cool piece of news. And if you're my friend on Facebook, you've probably already seen this meme that I shared. And um just count that as a perk of being my friend. You get early access to content. I don't oh know, whatever. Gosh. I'm just kidding. <laughs> So you probably already heard this, but for those of you who haven't, this is a really cool little story I found and I wanted to share. So in Japan, um, this this took place back in May of 2018, and uh, there was this bus company where the bus drivers in Okayama, they went on strike. 
And they decided, so the way that they did the strike, though, is what is really unique and why I wanted to share it with you, because they were hurting the company, but they chose to continue working, doing their daily routes on their bus so that they're not inconveniencing the citizens of of Okayama. They're still can be able to go to work because so many people, you know, they're depend on the public, like the bus transportation system. Okay. And uh, so they didn't, they continued to pick them up, but didn't charge them. So the bus company wasn't getting their fare for all of the people that they were giving rights to each day. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that that was yeah way cool. So what happened, what started this was um, the strike came about in May of 2018 when a dispute between the Ryobi bus company and its workers, um, because they the company launched a similar kind of bus company called Magurin, and I'm sorry if I mispronounced that, but they offered cheaper fares and nicer buses. Okay. So they gave them brand new, like rolled out all this brand new line of buses and offered mm-hmm. cheaper fares. So obviously people are going to want to start riding that one. Yeah. So their strike was to have them, the fares comparable, yeah. you know, so it's not, they're, they're not losing out. Business yeah, so they're not, not losing out on their people. And to um, make improvements upon the buses that they had so that mm-hmm. they were, people wanted to ride their buses too. Because that's not fair. How are you going to, the same company, screw your workers over like yeah. that? Um, but anyways, in the words of Sophie, so that's cool. That's cool. So that's cool. <laughs> no, that um, and then, okay, so I had another thing I wanted to share. And this, you guys, is kind of a nuts story. This is crazy. I found this on one of my um, true crime groups that I'm a part of. And it was, I'm not, because of where I found it, I'm not going to give any names. I'm just going to give, we're going to call him G. Um, but I just thought that this story was nuts. I I wanted to share it. So, okay. Um, this woman posted that her friend, like, again, we're going to call him G. He went, he went on a trip to Cancun. He went on vacation by himself and he went missing. Oh okay? no. Yeah. Like they couldn't get a hold of him. So he went to Quintana Roo in Cancun, Mexico, or I'm sorry, Cancun, Quintana Roo, Mexico. There's no, he hadn't called anyone, wouldn't return any phone calls. Day that he was supposed to come back, he didn't. And he was unreachable for several days since April 26th of this, this last month. That is terrifying. Yeah. In Cancun, right? Yeah. Okay. And then, and then it gets worse because there's more reasons why to be a little more suspicious. The fact that he went to Cancun by himself is kind of like, what are you doing? Guy? Yeah. But there's other circumstances that make it a little bit more scary so he had booked uh, g booked a six-night trip to cancun departing from phoenix on april 21st on a wednesday um text messages show that he made the flight after using a lift airport lift um, service to the airport for transportation he stayed at the riu hotels and resorts and he was booked from the 21st through the 27th of april uh, he had sent daily texts, photos to his coworkers and friends up until the evening of Saturday, the 24th of April at about around 6 p.m. And he had indicated that he had been invited to a dinner date. OK, oh, OK. Now, what I'm going to say is in relevance to why this is such a concern. He is a gay man who um, had been, I guess, maybe using local services or maybe just went to a club and, and found a companion. Mm-hmm. But in Mexico... It is still very, very much looked down upon to be gay. And like they don't, I mean, you know, there's certain places that they just have their thoughts and beliefs and they aren't quite as open-minded as we are. Like progressive. Yeah. Yeah. So 
there's a lot of places that you go to in Mexico period where, you know, they tell you stay in your resort area, stay in the tourist area. Mm -hmm. Don't go off. Don't do certain things because that's how murders do happen. That's how people do go missing for whatever reason it is. And it happens all the time. So the fact that he's there alone and that he's a gay man and they don't know if he's staying in his resort, where he's going, whatever. Okay, so he said that he had been invited to a dinner date, and he was also invited to meet a couple of other guys on the beach. He then texted a friend saying, quote, off to the beach. I'm inviting a really hot guy to the beach right now. Is that crazy? There's some other guys at the beach waiting for me, end quote. And there was also a photo attached of him at the resort. So he had taken like a selfie showing like, you know, where... It was pretty where he was at or whatever. Mm-hmm. The last time he was heard from was by one of his co-workers on the 26th. And according to the resort, G checked out Tuesday morning on the 27th as expected. However, he did not check in with the American Airlines and did not board his plane or rebook his flight. Okay. The resort then stated that G checked back into the hotel on Tuesday afternoon and on the 29th checked out as they had no more vacancies available. At this point, he asked for a less expensive hotel accommodation, like in the area, Mm -hmm. and they referred him to the Maya Fair Design Hotel. They confirmed that G did check in on Thursday afternoon, the 29th, and was booked until the 30th. He continued to not answer his phone, still goes straight to voicemail, isn't responding to any texts, and he he left behind, he had a cat and a dog that were like his babies, Mm -hmm. you know. And you know, you love your fur babies. Yeah. If you were to leave for a week, you have certain accommodations for them. Mm-hmm. But what happens if you're gone longer than that, right? Yeah. So he had accommodations for his babies for that week. Mm-hmm. But nothing, like he had never talked to anyone about extending it. Never, you know, he's not going to just leave his babies unattended. Right. He's going to have something, someone to take care of them, right? Mm-hmm. It, they actually had to have the Phoenix Police Department and a locksmith assist in getting the animals to take them and to foster them until they could figure out, you know, what was going on, what happened. When calling my affair, they received a recording with a voice with no voicemail option. And it doesn't seem to be like a standard like hotel greeting that you can be directed to a guest hotel room or anything like that. I guess I don't know what type of hotel it was that he was staying at, but there was just no it just rang and okay. nobody answered. There was no voicemail, no nothing. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't get a hold of the hotel that he was supposed to be staying in. They also never responded to any emails or Facebook messages. And the consulate um, was notified, but they stated that if they did find him, the only way that they can notify him is if he gives express consent. So where is G? What happened to this man while he was on vacation in Cancun? Sorry, but not sorry to do this. If you guys want to find out what happened to G, you're going to have to go to our Facebook page. Like us and follow us and then join our Facebook group because this is where we're going to be adding bonus content and special features and I'm going to post the ending of this story on there. So go join our Facebook group to find out. You got to like like our Facebook, follow us and join our Facebook group to find out what happened to G because it is crazy. Haha, <laughs> that's a teaser. It is. <laughs> I, you know, we're always going to leave you literally disturbed somehow. Or hanging. <laughs> <laughs> literally hanging. <laughs> yeah. we're doing. This is the literally hanging segment. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, that's all that was, we have for now. That's crazy. Yeah. I can't wait to go look and see what the ending is because I don't know either. She doesn't know. It's pretty, pretty exciting. It's pretty, it's nuts though, you guys. Like you really do want to find out what happened to him because it's, you're not, you're going to be like, what? What? No way. Crazy. 
Okay, so um, let's get started on your story. I'm excited to see yes. what you got for us. And you guys, guys, guess what? She did it. It's a two-parter. She did it. Oh my we'll see how well this goes because I couldn't make it to where it like, it's like going to leave right off in between some of the murders. So I do apologize for that. I didn't um, split it good enough because it yeah, wouldn't work be okay. out that way. But so I'm going to leave you hanging a little bit. So anyway, maybe they'll leave you hanging episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she said. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So this is, um, I know this is a famous story. Okay. And we've been trying to do things that you didn't know, but I had recently saw on Facebook, they have new evidence showing that with DNA analysis or whatnot, they were able to find out who this person was. Right. Okay. They have like new suspects. Um, But I could not find that anywhere else. I tried to look it up after I was done with the story um, because I wanted to include that, but... I could not find it anywhere else other than what I saw on Facebook. So I do apologize for that. But maybe one of y'all can find that information. So this is Jack the Ripper. This is a good one. Yes. Um, it I am going to definitely give a trigger warning for this because this is very gruesome. So if you have any small children in the car, which I mean. Hopefully you're hopefully, not listening to. Yeah. I mean, maybe if they're babies and don't understand. But but this one is very it's graphic. gruesome. So my sources are, of course, Wikipedia and History.com. And I did watch a documentary. I didn't get a lot of, I didn't like put a lot of the information into this. And I cannot remember the name of it. But it is on, I want to say Amazon Prime. And I will actually, I'll just put the link in the show notes because I can't remember what it's called. Anyways, so Jack the Ripper, which if anybody knows Vampire Diaries. <laughs> I was waiting for you to bring that up. <laughs> this is the this only. This was a moment we had, okay. <laughs> that was the only show that. I ever like really knew about Jack the Ripper and then it was Stefan. So it just, <laughs> and it was a vampire. So that's where a lot of my information of on Jack the Ripper came from. Obviously it's not real, but um, before this, yes. mind you. <laughs> so it's funny. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'm not using vampire diaries as part of my story. <laughs> I just want to cl- clear that up. Okay. <laughs> So it was a vampire, and it was Stefan. Anyways, okay. And he killed all the people. In the mid-19th century, Britain experienced an influx of Irish immigrants who expanded the populations of the major cities. Um, This actually included the east end of London. um, And in 1882, Jewish refugees fleeing fleeing pogroms like the Holocaust in Germany Mm -hmm. and in Russia and Eastern Europe. Which I did not know that that happened in Russia and in Europe. I just knew about Germany, so I feel really dumb. <laughs> so they also they also ended up in the same areas as the Irish the Irish, the Irish immigrants. Um, the parish of the White Chapel in London's East End became increasingly overcrowded. So the population increased to approximately eighty thousand inhabitants inhabitants by eighteen eighty eight. So this was back in eighteen eighty eight. So yeah, a that's time. a lot of people mm-hmm. compared, like that's normal for us now because we just have such a giant population, but right. back then not so much. Yeah. So that's a lot of people in one area. So work and housing conditions worsened, of course, and a significant ec- economic underclass developed. Um, 55% of children born in the East End died before they were five years old. Oh, that's really It's sad. very sad. 
Robbery, violence, and alcohol dependency were a commonplace, and the endemic poverty drove a lot of the women to turn to prostitution to earn a living and survive. So in October of 1888, London's Metropolitan Police Service estimated that there were 62 brothels and 1,200 women working in Whitechapel, with approximately 8,500 people people residing in the 233 common houses or coffin houses which were homeless shelters Mm -hmm. and the nightly price the nightly price for a single bed was four pence the cost of sleeping upon a lean-to or hangover rope that stretched across a dormitory was two pence a person Um, and a pence is a european penny you didn't know that. Okay. Did not know that. The economic problems in Whitechapel were accompanied by a steady rise in social tensions. So between 1886 and 1889, frequent demonstrations led to police intervention and public unrest, such as Bloody Sunday in 1887, when marchers protesting about unemployment and coercion in, in Ireland as well as demanding the release of M.P. William O'Brien. They clashed with the Metropolitan Police and the British Army. The demonstration was organized by the Social Democratic Federation and the Irish National League. Violent clashes took place between the police and demonstrators, many armed with iron bars, knives, pokers, and gas pipes. A contemporary report noted that 400 were arrested and 75 people were badly injured, including many police. Two policemen um, were stabbed and one protester was bayoneted. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. So um, anti-Semitism, which was discrimination towards Jews, right? crime, nativism, racism, social disturbance, and severe deprivation influenced public perceptions that Whitechapel was notorious was a notorious den of immorality. Oh. Yeah. Such perceptions were strengthened in the autumn of 1888 when the series of vicious and grotesque murders started to occur. At that time, the death or murder of a working girl was rarely reported in the press or discussed within polite society, which that's important to know. Okay. The reality was that ladies of the night were subject to physical attacks, which sometimes resulted in death. Among one of the most violent crimes was the attack of an English prostitute named Emma Smith, which I, I'm only saying prostitute, and I'm not sure if that is the correct word, so I'm sorry if I offend anybody. I'm just going based off of what I've read. Sex worker, if that's what you prefer. Lady of the night. Yeah, so I'm sorry if prostitute offends anybody. That's just what I found, and yeah, I'll just go ahead and say sex worker from now on. So, um... The English sex worker named Emma Smith, she was beaten and raped with an object Ugh. by four men. She ended up surviving that day, after, right after the attack, but she died a day later of peritonitis. It's the inflammation of peritoneum, typically caused by bacterial infection, either by the blood or after rupture of an abdominal organ. So, so what they did... Infection. Yeah, by whatever they did to her. Um, So Emma is remembered as one of many unfortunate victims who were killed by gangs demanding protection money. The large number of attacks against women in the East End during this time adds uncertainty to how many victims murdered by the same individual. Mm -hmm. Eleven separate murders stretching from April 3rd of 1888 to February 13th of 1891 
They were included in a London Metropolitan Police Service investigation and were known in the police docket as the Whitechapel murders. Opinions vary as to whether these murders should be linked to the same culprit, but five of the 11 Whitechapel murders, known as the Conical Five, are widely believed to be the work of the same person. So, we're going to get into the Conical Five. Okay. The first victim was Mary Ann Nichols. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, she was born on August 26, 1845 in Soho, London. At age 18, she married a printer's machinist mm-hmm. named William Nichols. They, dis- they separated due to dispute causes shortly after marrying. After the split, she worked at a workhouse and moved around a bit. William was supporting her with weekly allowance until he found out that she started working as... A sex worker. Mm-hmm. So that's important to note. Okay. He was not legally required to support her if she was earning money through illicit means. So she became an alcoholic and spent most of her earnings on that. And that's an important spot or piece too. So okay. sex worker and alcoholic okay. tend to be the, the main theme of the women that oh, I see. were murdered. It's like the common denominator. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mary Ann's body was discovered at about 3.40 a.m. on Friday, August 31st, 1888 in Bucks Row, which is now Durward Street in Whitechapel. Mary Ann had last been seen alive approximately one hour before the discovery of her body by a Miss Emily Holland, which whom she had previously shared a bed at the common lodging house on Thrall Street, Spitalfields, um, walking in the direction of Whitechapel Brood. Whitechapel Road. Her throat was severed by two deep cuts, one of which completely severed all the tissue down to the vertebrae. Ugh. This is bad, okay, guys? Her vagina had been stabbed twice, Mm-mm. and the lower part of her abdomen was partly ripped open by a deep, jagged wound, causing her mm. bowels to protrude. Several other incisions inflicted to both sides of her abdomen had also been caused by the same knife. Each of these wounds had been inflicted by a downward-thrusting manner. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. Just basically, like, filleted her open. Yeah. So the next victim is Annie Chapman. She was born on September 25th, 1840 in Paddington. She became an alcoholic at at a young age. Her whole family moved away from London except her because she had a job as a servant. She ended up marrying a man named John James Chapman, who was a maternal relative of hers. Okay. Oh, so that's... They're related. Her mom's family. Yeah. That's cool. (laughs) That's cool. They had three children, and following the death of their 12-year-old daughter, this made both Annie and James fall deeper into alcoholism. They split in 1884, and Annie relocated to Whitechapel, living off an allowance of 10 shillings from her husband. So she became, and I don't know what the casual part means, but she became a casual sex worker and was known to rent out a double bed at the Crossingham's Lodging House at 35 Dorset Street. She would have a visitor come stay with her a few times a week. Eight days prior to Chapman's death, she had fought with a fellow Crossingham lodging house resident named Eliza Cooper. The two were reportedly rivals for the affections of a local hawker named Harry. Although Cooper later claimed the reason the two had fought had been because Chapman had borrowed a bar of soap from her. 
and after having asked Chapman to return the bar of soap, Chapman had simply thrown a half penny upon the kitchen table, stating, go get you half pennies worth of soap. I guess those are fighting words. I don't know. <laughs> um, later in a fight between the two at the Britannia public house, Cooper struck Chapman in the face and chest, resulting in her sustaining a black eye and bruised breast. She hit her in the titty. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? I'm sorry. Let's just think about that for a minute. This is the 1800s. Fighting over a bar of soap. Uh, and they're or just a man. Like, or probably. Yeah. It's a man. But can you just imagine these two like. <laughs> I'm going to hit you in your tit. <laughs> but like in the 1800s. Just envision that. Yes. <laughs> sorry. So, on September 7th, Amelia Palmer encountered Annie Chapman on Dorset Street. Um, Palmer later informed police Chapman had appeared visibly pale on this occasion, having been discharged from the casual ward of the Whitechapel Infirmary that day. Um, Chapman complained to Palmer of having felt too ill to do anything. One week later, after the murder of Marianne Nichols, on Saturday, September 8th, 1888, the body of Annie Chapman was discovered at approximately 6 a.m. near the steps to the doorway of the backyard of 29 Hanbury Street in Spitalfield. As in the case of Marianne Nichols, the throat was severed by two deep cuts. Um, Her abdomen had been cut entirely open, with a section of flesh from her stomach being placed upon her left shoulder, and another section of skin and flesh, plus her small intestines um, being removed and placed above her right shoulder, Annie's autopsy also revealed that her uterus and sections of her bladder and vagina had been removed. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I told you this was this was a bad one. Um I just don't even understand like what I don't either. Is see that's why that's why I gotta keep learning my law and my psychology. Because I don't I'm just how why like what okay killing someone okay yes we've established that there's something in people that causes them to kill okay but what's the logic behind like filleting them open and, and just, just being put so it, and putting them over gruesome. their shoulder and like I what is that i just don't understand the logic of that I don't at either all. anyways okay continue so in the inquest into Chapman's murder, Elizabeth Long described having seen Chapman standing outside 29 Hanbury Street at about 5.30 a.m. in the company of a dark-haired man wearing a brown deer stalker hat and dark overcoat and of a shabby gentel appearance. Um, according to this eyewitness, the man had asked Chapman the question, Will you? To which Chapman had replied, Yes. Um, Elizabeth Stride and Catherine, oh, and to which he replied yes, and that's all we know about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so Elizabeth Stride and Catherine Indos were both killed in the early mornings of Sunday, September 30th, 1888. So this was his first double one. So Elizabeth Stride was born on November 27th, 1843 in Stora Tumblehead in a rural parish of Torslanda, west of Gothenburg, Sweden. She relocated to London in February of 1866, and she was married on March 7th, 1869 to a man named John Thomas Stride, who was 22 years older than her. Oh, my. Um, they both opened up a coffee shop in Poplar East, London, and operated it for seven years. 
They fell into financial hardship and closed the shop in 1874. They separated in March of 1877, and Elizabeth took residence in several common lodging houses in Whitechapel. She regularly earned money by performing cleaning duties both at the lodging house and for local residents, all while being observed by the housekeeper, Elizabeth Tanner. She was known to be a quiet woman who occasionally performed cleaning work for local Jews. On the day prior to her murder, Stride is known to have cleaned two rooms at her lodging house, for which she was paid six pence. That evening, she wore a black jacket and skirt with a posy of a red rose in a spray of either maidenhair, fern, or asparagus leaves. Oh. Uh, yeah, I guess that was their perfume back then. Asparagus leaves? Yeah. Okay. And I'm not sure what maidenhair fern is. Um, anyways, so her outfit was complemented by a black crepe bonnet. And in an effort to make her clothing look more respectable, she is known to have borrowed a brush from a fellow resident. At 6.30 p.m., Stride and Elizabeth Tanner briefly visited the Queen's Head pub on Commercial Street before Stride returned alone to the lodging house. Subsequent eyewitness accounts of Stride's movements later in the evening of September 29th and the early morning of September 30th indicate that she may have been in company of one or more acquaintances and or Clients. The first of these individuals is described as a short man with a dark mustache wearing a morning suit and bowler hat with whom she was last seen at approximately 11 p.m. at a location close to Burner Street. A second eyewitness account by laborer William Marshall places stride in the company of a man wearing a peaked cap, black coat, and dark trousers standing on the pavement opposite number 58 Burner Street at approximately 11.45 p.m. According to Marshall, Stride had stood with this decently dressed individual, and the two had repeatedly kissed before the man had said to her, you would say anything but your prayers. Oh, my, okay. <laughs> okay, whatever that means. Um, so at 12.35 a.m., P.C. William Smith saw Stride with a man wearing a hard felt hat standing opposite the International Working Men's Educational Club. That's a mouthful. Um, a socialist and predominantly Jewish social club at 40 Burner Street um, and has been renamed as Enrique Street in Chapel Hill. The man was carrying a package about 18 inches um, having no reason to feel suspicious, Smith continued on his walk in the direction of Commercial Road. Between 12.35 a.m. and 12.45 a.m., dock worker James Brown saw a woman he believed to be stride standing with her back against a wall at the corner of Burner Street, speaking with a man of average build in a long black coat. Brown heard stride say, no, not tonight, some other night. I hope I haven't lost it yet. Um, so, Stride's, <laughs> so Stride's body was discovered at approximately 1 a.m. Um, in Dutfield's yard off Burner Street, which is now in Enrique Street, in Chapel Hill. The cause of death was a single clear-cut incision measuring six inches across her neck that had severed her left carotid artery and her trachea mm. before terminating beneath her right jaw. Oh, Oh, so he was like, okay. Ugh. The absence of any further mutilations to her body has left to uncertainty 
as to whether Stride's murder was committed by the same man or whether he was interrupted during the attack. Right. So that seems plausible. So several witnesses later informed police that they had seen Stride in the company of a man in or close to Burner Street on the evening of September 29th and in the early hours of September 30th, but each gave differing descriptions. Some said that her companion was fair, others dark. Some said that he was shabbily dressed, others said he was well-dressed, so we don't know. So, like I said, there was two murders on one morning. Mm -hmm. So, one that was interrupted... And the second, I think he did just because he wasn't able to do the mutilation part to the so first he needed, one. Like, get he that needed out of the to get system, it out. Right. So, unfortunately, Catherine Eddowes was next. So, Catherine was born on April fourteenth, in eighteen forty-two, in Graysley Green, Wolverhampton. Wolverhampton. Both her parents died, and she became an orphan and was admitted to Bermondsey Workhouse. She later returned to Wolverhampton, where an aunt obtained employment for her as a tin plate stamper at the Old Hall Works. Sounds fun. (laughs) Eddowes was soon fired from this employment, um, possibly after being caught stealing. She moved from Wolverhampton to Birmingham, where she briefly lived with an uncle. Eddowes worked as a tray polisher in Birmingham, for four months before returning to Wolverhampton. Nine months later, she moved back again to Birmingham. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so while residing in Birmingham, she began, she began a relationship with former soldier Thomas Conway, with whom she had two children. And Eddowes had the initials TC tattooed in blue ink on her left forearm. Oh, wow. This yeah. is, that's progressive. Mm-hmm. That's way ahead of that time. Uh, yeah. So, in 1868, Eddowes and Conway moved to London. So, this is where it brings them to to where we need to be. So, taking lodgings in West... I think it's in Westminster. Um, While in London, Catherine took to drinking. She left her family in 1888. By the following year, she was living with a new partner, John Kelly, at Cooney's Common Lodging House at 55 Flower and Dean Street, Spitalfield, at the center of Eddowes... At the cent- Every time you say that, I just think of a little, a little baby drooling. <laughs> a little <laughs> spittle. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, at the center of London's most notorious criminal rookery. Here she took to casual sex work to pay the rent. Um, when Eddowes could not afford a bed in a common lodging house, she is believed to have slept rough in the front room of 26 Dorset Street, known locally as The Shed. So, in the early afternoon of September 29th, Eddowes told Kelly that she was she would go to Bermondsey to try to get some money from her daughter, Annie Phillips, who was married to a gunmaker in Southwark. With money from pawning his boots, a barefooted Kelly took a bed at the lodging house just after 8 p.m., and according to the deputy keeper, remained there all night. At 8.30 p.m. on Saturday, September 29th, Eddowes was found lying drunk in the road on Aldgate High Street by P.C. Lewis Robinson. She was taken into custody and then to the Bishopsgate Police Station where she was detained, giving the name Nothing until she was sober enough to leave at 1 a.m. on the morning of September 30th. Upon leaving the station, instead of turning right to take the shortest route to her home in Flower and Dean Street, 
she ended up taking a left in the general direction of Aldgate. Her body was found in Mitre Square in the city of London, three quarters of an hour after the discovery of the body of Elizabeth Stride. Her throat was severed and her abdomen ripped open by a long, deep, and jagged wound before her intestines had been placed over her right shoulder. The left kidney and the major part of the uterus had been removed, and her face had been disfigured with her nose severed, her cheeks slashed, and cuts measuring a quarter of an inch and a half, respectively vertically, incised through each of her eyelids. So he cut through her eyelids. That's disgusting. A triangular incision, the apex of which pointed towards her eye, had also been carved upon Mm -hmm. each of her cheeks. Mm -mm. And a section of the oracle and lobe of her right ear was later recovered from her clothing. The police surgeon who conducted the postmortem upon Edo's body stated his opinion these mutilations would have taken at least five minutes to complete. So a local cigarette salesman named Joseph Laudand had passed through the square with two friends shortly before the murder, and he described seeing a fair-haired man of shabby appearance with a woman who may have been Eddowes. Lawden's companions were unable to confirm his description. Um, the murder of Stride and Eddowes ultimately became known as the double event. And so, um, a section of Eddowes' bloodied apron was found at the entrance to a tenement in Golston Street, Whitechapel, at 2.55 a.m. A chalk inscription upon the wall directly above the piece of apron read, The Jews are the men that will not be blamed for nothing. Um, this graffito became known as the Golston Street Graffito. The message appeared to imply that a Jew or Jews in general were responsible for the series of murders, but it is unclear whether the graffito was written by the murderer on dropping the section of apron or was merely incidental and nothing to do with the case. Um, such graffiti were a commonplace in Chapel Hill. Um, police Commissioner Charles Warren feared that the graffito might spark anti-Semitic riots and ordered the writing washed away before dawn yeah definitely want to get that going so that's where i'm gonna like leave off um okay because that was a little long and there's a lot more to go yeah there is a lot more to go there's a few more murders and then we'll get into the actual investigation and how he became known as jack the ripper and got that name so, okay, cool. So cool. stay tuned, my friends. So, yeah, listen to our next episode. All right, you guys. So this story, not really a story. Uh, this topic of conversation is not really a story. It's like a compilation of information. Okay. But I, okay, so I, I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast before. I feel like I have because I was going to do, I couldn't figure out what I wanted. And remember I was telling you about that um, Alicia Keys song that I kept singing in my head yeah. all day. And then it wasn't until I finally listened to that song that I had, like, the epiphany for this idea, this concept of the story. Yeah. Okay. So this was several months ago, and I've been kind of working on it little by little since then. Mm-hmm. And it honestly will probably turn into a two-part or two. We'll see how this goes. Yeah. Because there's a lot more. I tried to condense it to kind of a, a longer one-parter, but I feel like since you're doing a two-parter and I didn't know, I can, yeah. like, add more information and do it again yeah. next week. So it'll kind of work out. Which I think that's what I'm going to do. Because it's a really cool idea. Like, it's obscure, random, different. But when you piece it all together, it's like, huh, maybe there's something there. Okay, so let's get into it. So I dub this piece Paramusical. Okay. Okay. 
So that might give you a little TM, idea. TM, what, TM. Yeah, right? Because I came <laughs> up with that myself. Like, maybe it's a word, but I really don't think so. Maybe it's a word. <laughs> I don't know. You come up with a lot of Britney words. I know I do. My sources are this college thesis called Paramusicology, an Investigation of Music and Paranormal Phenomena by Melvin J. Willen. I have a lot here, so I'm sorry. I also It's also from rollingstone.com um, and then from americasmosthaunted.com, from researchgate.net, from globalnews.ca, and from Snopes, which was to verify the whole Japan bus company ordeal. I just wanted to make sure that was true before I came out here and told everybody about it. Okay, so let me run you through my whole um, thought process when I came up with this idea, okay? So like I said, I was trying to come up, I literally had spent the whole day trying to come up with some sort of paranormal topic, and I just wasn't feeling it, wasn't vibing, and I had the song by Alicia Keys, No One, and I'm singing the song all day in my head, hadn't heard the song in forever like Mm -hmm. probably a couple years and for some reason it just popped into my head and I used to let me tell you I used to get down to Alicia Keys she definitely (laughs) she helped me through my first heartbreak ever okay I love her so I'm singing the song in my head and finally I'm like okay I gotta listen to the song so I can sing it through right and just get it out right Mm -hmm. so I put I play it and I'm sitting there listening to the song and I'm just thinking like how those feelings from back when I had that heartache you know back this is when I was like 15 yeah I was 15 so much heartache no really he was I was so in love I was so and he broke he broke me into Uh-oh. little pieces I was 15 he was 17 we were in high school it ran its course you know whatever but I was just young and <laughs> and hormonal whatever anyway so I'm like crushed over this jamming out to some Alicia Keys you know getting through that and I hear listening to the song and I'm like I just it's so crazy how a song can still be so relevant all of these years later. Like that song can still just touch you and make you feel like all these kind of emotions. And it's crazy how it can just trigger those things, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I wonder if there is like a connection to how music makes people feel. Yeah. And the connection with like paranormal and music together. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh my God, I have to research that. Like paranormal and music, surely there's something there. Yeah. Well, my friends, there was. <laughs> I have not disappointed this week. I promise you. I did a lot of work on this. Okay, so uh-huh. among the topics in the talk of uh, the nature of music and ghosts, both are derived of personality and energy and the aesthetics of music described by uh, philosopher Suzanne Langer as having forms of human feelings, the tensions, ambiguities, contrasts, and conflicts of feeling our feeling life. Basically... What she was trying to say is music sounds like emotions feel. Okay. Right? So, like, you can listen to it, um, like, even just a melody, and it triggers some sort of feeling, right? Mm-hmm. That's why I don't listen to country music anymore. <laughs> it makes me cry. <laughs> like, I don't, like, yeah. feel in all kinds, some kind of way. I'm like, no, I don't want to be depressed right now. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyways, so this anchors music to the very core of our being and ties it to our memory, uh, ties it to the memory of our most fundamental experiences and feelings. You know, how many times do you listen to a song and it takes you back to like those nostalgic moments of whatever, right? Some experts believe that not only the genre, rhythm, and tone of the work are important, but also the musical instrument that was used to play the melody. Okay, Mm -hmm. so certain instruments may have a different effect on how it controls us. Yeah, yeah, okay. 
So the sound of a single musical instrument, okay, kind of what I just said. The sound <laughs> of a single musical instrument affects a certain organ of the human body. For example, stringed instruments such as violin, guitar, harp, and cello have a salutary effect on the cardiovascular system. Weird. Right. I didn't know that. And which is interesting because you think of all the guitar songs, you know, the love songs, uh-huh. and it affects your heart, you know, cardiovascular. Weird, yeah. So that's weird, right? Mm-hmm. Like how many, like I just said, country songs get you on your feelings, <laughs> listening to that guitar. Yeah. Sorry. I I told myself there's no way I could possibly derail in this segment. Uh (laughs) I always find a way, my friend. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyways, also the sound of strings causes a person a sense of gratitude, compassion, and sacrifice. Sacrifice? I mean, probably like a self-sacrifice, like sacrificing something for your family or I don't know. So playing the piano harmonizes the mind. Maybe that's why smart people right? Like that stuff. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Classical, you know. Um, it clears the thyroid level to normal operation of the genitorinary system. Yeah. Which, for those of you who are like me and did not know what that means, it is a reprodu- it's your reproductive and, and urinary organs. So playing the piano also harmonizes those. So I need to, like... Get some headphones and put it on my uterus to make it do things uh-huh. and work properly. Harmonize it. Harmonize that uterus. Okay. <laughs> it's worth a shot. I mean, Maybe that's why people do that when they have babies. Because it and harmonizes. And, hmm. Interesting. Interesting. We're learning some science. Know, right? Organ sounds normalize the energy flows in the spine and stimulate brain activity. Again, we're talking. Oh, yeah. Organs. So like. Like, I think of the Christmas Beauty and the Beast. Do you remember the Christmas Beauty and the Beast one? No. There's like a big organ and it's one of those that talk. Yeah. Okay. Yes, whatever. Okay. So organs normalize the energy flows on the spine and stimulate brain activity. Wind instruments purify bronchi and improve the respiratory system. What? Uh Uh-huh. Like, as you're playing it or as, like, listening? It's as you're listening. Well, I mean, okay. you could be playing it. It's just the sound of the wavelengths that are affecting you. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Keep so going. it could be either or. Okay. So it also has a positive effect on blood circulation and percussion instruments treat liver and the blood system. Huh. Right? Isn't that cool? Yeah. It's- now listen to this. So the first scientific explanation of the influence of music on human health came from ancient Greek scientist and philosopher Pythagoras. Okay. We all know who Pythagoras is. Sure. Hopefully. Pythagoras, the Pythagoras theorem. Okay. You know, it's like math shit. Okay, yeah, I know what that is. Anyways, okay, so every melody, this is according to him, quote, every melody synchronizes the operation of the internal organs. So this happens because any of our bodies, which are a source of energy and electromagnetic waves, given frequency, as well as the sounds of music are also waves. They come into resonance with them, and the settings of our bodies change. Hmm. So basically, your body, like, feels this resonance, and it, like, shifts itself to match it. Interesting. Okay. Right? Uh, When the melody sounds, its acoustic field is imposed on the acoustic field, and it turns out that we experience a certain kind of cell massage. 
Oh, cell massage. Yeah, you're. This is from Pythagoras. He knows what he's talking about. Interesting. Isn't that crazy? Cell massage. Okay. So listening to certain music can get. Maybe that's why certain music like makes you tense up because you're like, oh, what the fuck? It's like mm-hmm. overstimulation or something. Maybe. It's like oh, it's like a. Because like it's sometimes- like a Monica massage. Do you remember those episodes? No. Monica, like she, Chandler is getting a massage or doesn't like massages and come to find out it's just because she's like really brutal and hard oh. and just like, like really rough. And he's just like, oh, this smells so good. <laughs> Anyways, I'm sorry, you guys. <laughs> so, okay. Pythagoras cured many mental and physical illnesses with specially composed tracks to treat them. Every morning he started with singing. He said it helped him to initiate activity to daily life and free your mind from sleep. And in the evening, he sang songs in order to calm his nerves and to tune in. Okay. That's interesting, too. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Pythagoras did not hesitate. He did not hesitate. He did not hesitate about the impact of music on the human body. Okay. And everywhere he went, he proved a huge impact on feelings and emotions to the mind and body. He even introduced a concept called musical medicine and said that the soul must be free from nasty intellect influences Solemn and majestic chanting, which relies accompany the lyre. Oh, or the, okay. l- the lyre? I don't know. Not a lyre, but L-Y-R-E. Lyre? I don't know. Like that's you're lying what, on the ground? I don't know. That's what he says. Okay. No, I don't think. I don't know. Okay. Anyways, music might enter the minds of people in a paranormal way. Okay. Okay. Research studies say that some mediums believe that music is being conveyed to them from a spiritual source. Hmm. Okay. Kind of like a muse, you know, like a muse is coming through. And oh, like, okay, gotcha. Yeah. So if people have this relationship with music, how do you think ghosts, who seem to be very little but memory, feel about it? <laughs> okay, so music also acts as a conduit to the spiritual plane for virtually all religions on the planet. From the shaman's drum to the Buddhist chant to the Christian's hymns, music seems like a not-so-secret passageway to the divine. I mean, because think about it, like, how if you go to a church, I mean, there's a lot of people, that's a common thing for people to go to church growing up, whether you continue as an adult or not. Yeah. But how many times have you in those moments been singing a song, you know, and you just feel that, like, overwhelming, like, just presence. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, there's, you're connecting to that music, you mm-hmm. know. There are also a number of instances where music and specific hauntings are intertwined. So as detailed in the America's Most Haunted book, at a recent recreation of the original 1882 opening of the Knickerbocker Hotel in Linesville, Pennsylvania. Hmm. So when a pianist began playing music of the era, so like, right, they they reopened this hotel and they were trying to recreate the whole vibe, right? Mm -hmm. This pianist begins playing his music from that time period and an apparition in the form of the original owner, Milo Arnold, emerged from the wall. Shit, he took yeah. He took a look around, nodded approvingly to the piano player, and then disappeared. Oh my gosh, how terrifying! Isn't that insane? It's cool though. It is very cool. Who knows? Maybe maybe this. I don't know. I didn't research this hotel incident. I'm sorry, but think about it. Like they reopened this hotel. They're trying to get back to that vibe, and just that that triggered that apparition to appear to them because that moment and that sound and that you know what I mean. Yeah, it's just interesting. Okay, so now we're going to we're going to kind of get into like. The celebrity, you know, music, musician portion of mysterious phenomenon and and paranormal. Okay. 
So at Bobby Mackey's Music World in Wilder, Kentucky, the famous haunted honky-tonk, someone really wants to hear the anniversary waltz because there are multiple reports of the club jukebox playing the tune even when it's unplugged. <laughs> yeah, and even after the record was removed from the box. He's like, no, we're going to keep playing this. Yeah, like, like this try. is my song, but I'm sorry. <laughs> so <laughs> at, the, uh, at the Stanley Hotel, Haunted Inspiration, which is a haunted inspiration for Stephen King's The Shining, one of the most common paranormal reports of, is of the original owner, F.O. Stanley's wife, Flora, and she's playing her Steinway piano with unseen hands. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, there are also a number of reports of famous musical ghosts, including Buddy Holly, Elvis Presley, Hank Williams, John Lennon, which we've discussed his haunting before, mm-hmm. um, Jim Morrison, Mama Cass, Graham Parsons, Bon Scott, and Liberace, making regular appearances at the sites of their deaths and or places dear to them in life. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. This could be future episodes. So, with that being said, why have so many young... This is something that, we, I mean, again, unless you're Patrick Starr living under a rock, <laughs> you have probably heard something about musicians and death, right? Yeah. So, why have so many young musicians, including some of the biggest stars on the planet who had everything to live for, die at age 27? Oh, okay. This is going to be interesting. I didn't know this yes, was, the that fen- commonality. Right. The phenomenon is so pronounced that there's a name for it called the 27 Club. Oh, weird. Okay. Yes. So blues legend Robert Johnson, Re- uh, Rolling Stones guitarist and co-founder Brian Jones, rock guitar master Jimi Hendrix, shamanistic door singer Jim Morrison, Nirvana visionary Kurt Cobain, and beloved neo-singer Amy Winehouse are among the prominent members of this distressingly large club. So all of these people died at age 27, and they were all musicians. Shit, okay. Right? So is there a curse? Is there, like, a rift in the space-time continuum that we don't know of? Do they sell their souls to the... Of the devil. Yep, that was my next one. Did they make pacts with the devil that expired at the age 27? Mm Mm-hmm. A rational mind might say it seems likely that those who abuse themselves, you know with the tenacity of these individuals have built an have a built in expiration date, like with drugs, alcohol, you know, the life that they live on the road, going nonstop, partying hard. Mm-hmm. You know, you can only attempt fate so many times before it finally is like, okay, yeah. all right, let's go. It's what you wanted. So is there a coincidence that it happens to happen at age 27? Like we're probably going to, that might be part two. We'll, we'll delve into more of that. A little later. Okay. Because um, I really do want to like look into more. And I have a little bit more of it, but not as in-depth as I want to go. So Robert Johnson, which we mentioned before, um, he was the honorary founder of the 27th Club, or the 27th Club, was poisoned by a jealous husband in 1938 as he was establishing himself as the most important innovator in blues history. As a teen, Johnson was a pedestrian blues singer, guitarist, and harmonica player in Robinsonville, Mississippi. When he was 19 and she was 16, his wife died in childbirth, and Johnson, in an effort to walk his pain off, or perhaps because I guess he had nothing better to do, he just sat off wandering the Delta. Like, he just started walking. Okay. And was just like, I mean, my wife and child died. He was just didn't really have anything else in his life going, so he just took off walking, right? Oh. So then he reemerges a year later, um, returned to John or to Robinsonville, 
with a new sense of gravity about him. Like he just had this new personality that it was just like, what's going on with this guy, mm, right? Okay. So at the Roadhouse, the Sun House band had taken a break. You know, this was a, a band that was playing, I guess. And the most of the crowd kind of went outside, blah, 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 just to like get some air and probably smoke or chill, like an interlude kind of thing. Mm-hmm. All of this stopped as soon as Johnson took the stage and a strange, utterly original duet between him and his guitar creating this music racked with pain, but was also like thrilling to behold. And they they said it was almost like magic just coming from his fingertips, like this, this song and this music and his voice synchronizing with everything. It was just amazing for them to see, right? Mm-hmm. Word quickly spread that Johnson had sold his soul to the devil at the crossroads to gain such otherworldly artistic grace. And songs he wrote like Crossroad Blues, Hellhound on My Trail, Me and the Devil Blues, did nothing to dispel the myth. Oh, okay. So there's a big, like, that's a very popular story about, you know, kind of where this whole making a deal with the devil Mm -hmm. and the music industry thing kind of came from. Okay. So let's talk about music and its known physical connections. So in 1953, a worldwide agreement was signed. Um, Signatories declared that middle A on the piano will forevermore be tuned to exactly 440 hertz. This frequency became the standard ISO 16 reference for tuning all musical instruments based on the chromatic scale, the one most often used for music in the West. All other notes are tuned in standard mathematical ratios leading to and from 440 hertz. This tone standard is now universally accepted, which is why a piano in Toronto sounds exactly the same as a piano in China. Because if you didn't have a universal tuning method for instruments, then if you learn how to play a certain thing, it can sound complete, like the song can sound completely different to a different country in the way that they tune. They want everything to have the same kind of general format, I guess. Uh Uh-huh. Adherents to this theory claim that a more natural frequency for the middle A is 438 hertz. Others believe that the correct middle A is 432 hertz, also known as Verdi's A, because it has a pure tone of math fundamental to nature and is mathematically consistent with the patterns of the universe, vibrating with phi, the golden ratio. And they point to how this pitch can be connected to everything from the Nautilus shells to the works of the ancients, including the construction of the Great Pyramid. 432 hertz resonates with 8 hertz, the Schumann resonance, which I know you've heard of that. What's that? It is the documented fundamental electromagnetic beat of the Earth. Oh. Yeah. It's basically like... The frequency in which the earth resonates. Vibrates Yes. It? Okay. So that's, they say, is like, it just feels better when you hear this tone or this frequency. Huh. Right. So research also says that music tuned from this frequency is easier to listen to, brighter, clearer, and contains more inherent dynamic range. As a result, music with this tuning need not be played at higher volumes, thus reduces the risk of hearing damage. There's more radical among the middle A haters insists that the true frequency should be 528 hertz because it is a digital bio-holographic precipitation crystallization and miraculous manifestation of diving frequency vibrations. That was a mouthful. And my note says I have no idea what that means. (laughs) (laughs) Same. (laughs) But apparently that's important. Okay. So here's where the conspiracy comes in. There is allegedly something sinister and evil about 440 hertz. It is said that the Rockefeller Foundation had an interest in making sure the United States adopted 
the 440 hertz standard and the 1930 in 1935 as part of a war on consciousness oh. leading to musical cult control weird okay yeah like think about that for a second friends mm-hmm because we all know that the next war coming is a war on consciousness. It's not going to be nuclear. It's not going to be boom, boom, pew, pew, blow, blow. I mean, there might be some blowing up. I don't know. But primarily, it's a war of the mind. It's a spiritual. Yeah. It's a spiritual and mental war. That and but they're look, guys. They're using like sound waves things that you wouldn't even think no you're like literally your mama telling you you shouldn't listen to that music it's the devil music well i mean as crazy as that is there might be it's not the devil music but it might be something something to it you know without going too far down that rabbit hole this theory says that tuning all music to 440 hertz turns it into a military weapon weird okay yes that's scary um, so I quote from one of the many articles online on the subject. The monopolization of the music industry features this imposed frequency that is hurting populations into greater aggression, psychological agitation, and emotional distress, predisposing people to physical illness and financial impositions, profiting the agents, agencies, and companies engaged in the monopoly. Uh, oh. So they're tuning these people into these frequencies to benefit them. Okay. Right. Okay, so now we're going to get into, I touched a little, we'll go into some of these theories a little okay. bit more in the next episode, but I wanted to leave it off with a, some little lighter stories because that can kind of get a little intense, you know? Yeah. So I wanted to leave off with um, musicians with ghost encounters. Ooh. And these are current, like, alive musicians, not, oh. not ones that have already died. Passed. Yeah. <laughs> um, so rap artist Kendrick Lamar claims to have been visited in his sleep by the ghost of the legendary Tupac Shakur. Oh. Uh-huh. Lamar spoke of the incident to Homegrown Radio, recalling how Shakur's silhouette came to him and said, keep doing what you're doing, don't let my music die. This experience later inspired the closing song to, I guess, a movie called To Pimp a Butterfly. To, to Pimp a Butterfly? To Pimp a Butterfly, titled Mortal Man, in which he samples his real-life interview with the fallen rap legend in 1994. Huh. To pimp a butterfly. Uh, I, I kind of like that. I but. don't even understand <laughs> what and how and why, but okay. <laughs> and what a mortal man has, I don't know. Okay. Anyways, founding Kiss artist Ace Freely recounts two different occasions when both his wife and daughter were violently pushed down the steps of their home by what he claims to have been a ghost. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, quote, I always had a sense that there was some type of connection with me and the other side, end quote. Um, Freely explained on Celebrity Ghost Story, this account, and not long after Freely purchased a large family home in Westchester, New York. He noticed things being moved around from place to place. Once he discovered his daughter at the foot of the staircase, Freely attributed whatever presence he noticed in the home before must have been an evil spirit. His marriage fell apart and his daughter moved out, but once he moved back to the property with his new wife, she immediately picked up on the eeriness without ever even knowing about the spirit on the staircase. She too claims to have been pushed down those same steps and a psychic told Freely that his house had been previously inhabited by an abusive mother who murdered her children in the home. Oh, shit. Yes. Pop singer Kesha, a, med- 
And then, <laughs> I like Kesha. I probably should have saved this one for last. I really love her. I do too. And it's <laughs> funny is every time I think about her, I think of you. Well, it's funny because she had her own little show for a little bit. Uh-huh. And every time I think of her, I just remember this one scene where she drinks her own pee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just to oh. do it. That's <laughs> yeah, just going to make odd, this next part even weirder. One. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, um, uh, Kesha... <laughs> Admitted in an interview with Ryan Seacrest that she believes she was she once had sex with a ghost. Oh. I've got a song called Supernatural, she explained. That song was about having sex with a ghost. I lived in this flop house at Rural Canyon, and there was this weird energy that I lived there, and it used to keep me up at night and wake me up, and it progressed into this dark sexual spirit. It did scare me, but that's part of the fun of it. Oh, okay. So she liked it. So she did. Um, anyways uh-huh. I'm just okay just gonna keep going right past yeah. so many things to say so I'm just gonna choose not to say yes. any of them <laughs> of course Alice Cooper has seen a ghost okay um, Halloween and horror have always been part of the rock star's MO but even Cooper admits he couldn't have made up something like what happened to him and the abandoned rural New York house where he and Aerosmith's Joe Perry had holed up to write some new songs together both men were freshly sober at the time, and they began to notice strange things happening in the house. It felt prankish, Cooper recalled, during his appearance on the celebrity ghost story, like a playful poltergeist. He remembers hearing what sounded like furniture being dragged across the basement. Once he went to investigate, he claims to have felt the pressure of a hand on the back of his neck. Uh, turned out the house was said to be haunted by a, the little boy who previously lived there before who had drowned in the lake. Oh. Yeah. So I guess the little boy was just like, hey, friends. I'm here. I'm here. I want to play. Yeah. So never ask the spirits in because they will come, warns Sherry Curry in her episode of Celebrity Ghost Stories. The singer and trailblazing frontwoman of the legendary punk outfit, The Runaways, explains how she came to regret a preteen obsession with a Ouija board that sent her into fits of rage when anyone tried to take it away. I wanted to reach out to the other side, but I wish I hadn't. She remembers once while asking the board about boys and future kisses. Oh my gosh. So innocent. I know. That it moved on its own. Oh, you're pretty, spelled the board. Claiming to be a man. Ew. Yeah. Curry claims to have spent hours. It just goes to show that not even when they die do they stop being pervs sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're pretty. Uh Uh-huh. She's a child. Uh She's a child. You dead creeper. Anyways, okay, so she claims to have spent, I'm sorry, she claims to have spent hours sitting alone in her room communicating with the board, feeling herself transition from a happy young girl to someone dark and brooding with a dangerous obsession. Curry attributes her rage-filled and abusive behavior toward her family to being consumed by whatever spirits came out of that board. That's terrifying. Okay, so once multi-platinum pop star Adele moved into a beautiful new $6 million home in 2012, she began to hear strange noises that gave her, quote, the creeps. The singer's lavish 25-acre West Sussex property had previously been a convent fit with its very own chapel. Oh, hell no. Yeah, girl, that was her first mistake. Uh, yeah. You know some bad shit happened there. Oh, uh, yeah. Apparently, Adele was so spooked by sounds that she'd heard, she had upped her security to around-the-clock surveillance and tacked on two additional groundsmen to protect her from whatever spirits may have been lurking around. 
but they're ghosts. So what are they going to do? I know. <laughs> I know. I don't know. It just made her feel safe. Maybe I guess. just have Dean and um, Sam. Yeah, come. post up. I would like them as my guards in my bedroom. <laughs> I bet you would. I bet you would. <laughs> oh, there's a ghost in my bed. Oh, Dean, help! <laughs> I'm sorry. You can w- come too, Sammy. That was really perverted. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, okay, so this next one, all my 90s girls. Aaron Carter, triple platinum recording artist and younger brother of Backstreet Boys' Nick Carter. I used to have such a huge crush on him. Oh, me too. Same. My favorite was when he was in the Lizzie McGuire um, oh, episode for Christmas. Yes, that sorry. was cute. Sorry, keep going. So he never told his family about a promise he made with his dying grandmother. According to the singer's segment on Celebrity Ghost Stories, Carter's fun-loving grandma enjoyed pulling scary pranks on him as a kid. But even still, nothing scared him more than when she was diagnosed with terminal cancer. While his grandmother was a lifelong believer in life after death, Aaron admits that he wasn't too convinced until she revealed herself to him through a candle she made him promise to light once she passed. He claims that once it blew out, her ghost apparated in the room with a cold blast that took her shape and said, I told you. Oh, shit. Yeah. So before Tiffany became an 80s mall pop sensation, which is basically, you've seen How I Met Your Mother, right? Yeah. So that's basically where they get Robin Sparkle's kind of character oh, from. okay. Um, because Tiffany was actually a mall, like in the 80s, she was a mall pop sensation. She went around <laughs> to malls and did those kind of things. Yeah. The young singer struggled with lasting family demons demons that led her to explore the dark arts. In fact, she found an outlet for her home life frustrations through dabbling in black magic. Uh, Tiffany and her girlfriends acquired a copy of the Satanic Verses and began to practice innocuous spells. And once her father told her that she was not allowed to go to a party, she reached for the book. But shortly after, the demon figure of a man with no eyes attempted to hold her down. Ew. She claims to have warded him off by the power of prayer and apologizing to God for ever involving herself with demons. Okay, so the poison frontman, Brett Michaels, I think mom had a crush on him. I don't know. I don't think so. He claims a paranormal encounter turned his life and career around. Down and out in the wake of his parents' divorce, the rebellious 17-year-old rocker found himself at the odds with his creative spirit in a small town. Everything was caving in, he explained in a segment of Celebrity Ghost Stories while his, while in his friend's basement. After a particularly disheartening band practice, he plugged into some headphones to relax and saw a strange glowing orb from the corner of his eye. So there was no rhyme or reason for the orb, he says. He now claims that the orb was a sign he needed to get out of the podunk town and pursue rock stardom. So that was his sign. Okay. Um, and now I'm going to leave you with a final little celebrity encounter. Okay. okay. Ariana Grande. Ooh. Yeah. She shared her belief in demons in an interview with Complex in 2013. According to some, fear of demons is a typical Florida thing. Uh, okay. I, I don't know why it's specific to Florida. I'm assuming just because she's from Florida. Okay. But the pop star or the pop singer chose to discuss a particular experience that took place in Kansas at the Stoll Cemetery, which is rumored to be one of the eight earthly portals of hell. Oh, cool. Yeah. Not cool, but like, cool. Oh, I didn't know that. Like, yeah. So Grande recalls smelling sulfur in the car on the way there, which, according to her, is a sign of a demon. Mm-hmm. And then seeing three distinct faces and the background of a photo she took to try and see the ominous feeling she'd picked up on. 
She claims to have later seen a big black mass and red demonic flashes. So what do you guys think like about all of this stuff? Like, isn't that neat that there's like a musical, a physical correlation with music and our bodies and how we respond to it? Mm-hmm. That is nuts. So I didn't know any of that. That's I didn't cool. either. I so mean, I kind one. of knew a little bit. Of, so and actually, shit, I meant to add this and I'm glad I remembered. I didn't. Get, okay, so I'm not going to have like specific details, but I know that the Beatles are very into this whole like certain hurts that they would play their music instruments mm-hmm. to. And Jimi Hendrix would only play his guitar to a certain like hertz because of those. So they were kind of they were in tune to that whole yeah. thing, too. And this was like. Quite a while ago. And they were both amazing, like phenomenal, legendary musicians. Mm-hmm. So I just wonder, like, I don't know, you know? Yeah. There's just certain songs that you hear that trigger certain things. And it's certain songs do have a blanket effect on a group of people, mm-hmm. usually. And I don't know if you want to cover this in the next episode. So if you do, you can get this out. But I do know that I, I, I get really bad migraines mm-hmm. and... It was always suggested to me to listen to binaural beats. Right. Mm -hmm. And it actually really helped. And there's one, there's different ones that you can use. There's like just concentration ones. Mm -hmm. Um, There's ones that you can listen to before bed and it puts you like in a sleepy state. Right. I've done that one before. That's the one I've done before is the one like to help you sleep. Mm -hmm. Like the white noise and stuff. Yeah. Um, And then the one for the migraines, it would help. I mean, and I don't know if it was just because it, well but i mean it could have think about especially when you have the headphones on you're listening to solely that Mm -hmm. and it's like this like it's not music or anything it's like like, yeah yeah. like different like wavelengths well i'm thinking about like singing like the the singing tibetan singing bowls or oh yeah yeah it's supposed to cleanse the space and stuff so like re like reset the that's a good one to to like look into more next time for you guys is the science behind that but yeah i just i think this is a fascinating topic because there's so much unless you're just a super weirdo everybody loves music you know (laughs) of some sort yeah and to think that sometimes you listen to certain musics and it kind of puts you in a funk and you just like "Eh," you know like there's certain Mm -hmm. like certain songs i love but i can't listen to them very often because it's just like right like i love punk pop Mm -hmm. kind of stuff and i like my screamo when i'm in my angsty moods um but I've actually just been listening to more chill music, and it's a lot of music that's come off TikTok. I know it's silly, <laughs> um, but yeah, I just I like more of just just kind of happy, right? Like my, chill music. My music or like the band that I'm really into right now. I love Milky Chance. If you guys have ever heard of them, they're really cool. Um, they're one of my favorites. Tosh Sultana is phenomenal, and then Glass Animals is one that, and it's actually cool, you guys, because. My daughter even likes them. <laughs> I've never heard of any of those people. Uh, You've heard of Glass Animals because I've let you listen to a couple okay, of songs. Okay, I think I remember that. But it's just like super chill and kind of like funky music. Mm-hmm. Tosh Sultana is real funky and like they are very cool because um, the way that I discovered them was a video where they're in their living room or a bedroom. There's like a living room version and a bedroom version. That's the one I listen to. Right. And they like produce record make all of the sounds from all of their music like different loops and and I don't know how all of that kind of stuff works but it's cool like they've got all the soundboards and I mean you can just see them sitting there singing they'll sing the part as they'll play the the guitar part and just loop it all together to make this really cool song and it Mm -hmm. uh, they'll start out you know showing the different progression and then they'll start in the actual song once they have everything looped and 
it's really cool music super cool and super beautiful oh my gosh and you remember that tattoo concept i told you for the next tattoo i want that's gonna have like you know the girl with the head in the clouds or like Mm -hmm. something like that i want to use their face for or like for that for the concept of what that person's gonna look like person for you yes Uh, well just Uh for that like i can just oh it's so cool and then there's a song that um they do with milky chance I think it's called if I'm a dreamer or if I, I'm a something like that. I can't remember. But there's a little quote of that song that I want to kind of go oh. into that. So I thought we'll it would be cool. have to tag them in it so yes. we can see that Very, you did that. Oh, I, yes. When that happens, I plan on it. I'm like, please don't think I'm a creep because I used your face. But I just think you're beautiful and you're perfect for this piece. <laughs> we have been so happy from like everybody has been so nice messaging us yes. you know commenting giving so us so many love. messages recently and we got our first patreon yes oh and speaking of friend um we are planning something super special for you because you're our first patreon yes we are working on it literally today so um when you hear this Send us an email with your information so we can send you a super cool package that we are planning for you yes um one of the perks of being a Patreon is getting a shout out. And so mm-hmm. thank you, Heather, for donating. Yes, you are you, awesome. Heather. And we appreciate you so much. You don't know how excited it made us. We felt like little, like, little weird schoolgirls. Girls. Yeah. yeah. Like, all giggly. Like, oh my God, look what happened. Thank you. Yeah, it was super cool. We're total nerds. We're sorry. We but really, thank you. It really means a lot. And if, if anyone else is interested, Sorry, go ahead. No, I was, that was just hyping you up. Oh, okay. <laughs> if anyone else is interested, please, uh, you can go. The, the The quickest way to find any of our links is go to Instagram at Literally Disturbed Podcast. And we have a link tree with like all of our, all of our information on there. So you have the Patreon, any of like our other social media, whatever mm-hmm. is all on there. So yeah. go check that out. Um, and follow us. Yes. And remember, if you want to hear the rest of The Disappearance of G then go to facebook.com slash groups slash literally disturbed podcast and make sure uh, you can, if this is long after this episode is aired, just search um, in the Facebook search bar, search for episode 23, the disappearance of G and that will be how you find it. And you can hear the ending of that story and make sure again, you like and follow us on Facebook because that's going to be one of the things that we look for when we add you to the group. Yep. We want to make sure because, you know, we need your support, guys. Yeah. We need need, as much as we love, love doing this and we do love doing this. We spend a lot of time doing it. And in order for us to continue, we need likes and follows and participation. Yes. Share, please. Invite your friends to the group. We actually have a few people that are in the group and they have been sharing a lot of cool stuff. Yes, There's been cool conversations. So thank you guys for doing that. Yeah, I legit... <laughs> I re- I screenshotted the first conversation between two of our our first two listeners that were conversing together in our group, and I was she's like, "Oh like, my god, look!" She's like, "Katie, look, they're they're two talk. Or, how do you say it? They're talking to each other. <laughs> we created that. I just thought it was cool. We love it, guys. Yes. We, we want y'all to like connect and be friends, and and we need friends, and we y'all are all our friends." And, Maybe my daughter will stop making fun of me for not having any. <laughs> Speaking of your daughter, I guess we should let her come tell her her little. She's got quite an interesting crypto. story this week. By the way, just to, to give you a little insight to what we're doing here, we do not let Sophie sit in 
while we're recording. She's Other than not that in one the, episode. Wait, there was one episode yes. which was a mild episode, and she was in here kind of hanging out on the bed. But after that, we realized a she gets bored and wants to get up and move around too much and makes too much noise, and it's kind of annoying. B, <laughs> a lot of the things we talk about are not appropriate no, for an eleven-year-old. She year does old. not listen to the podcast. No, she doesn't. She has no interest too. She doesn't care. Um, she helps edit her portion of it, but that's also a separate audio. Again, she comes in after we are done and records her a little bit. So we say we're leaving it off to her and we yes. resume. So sometimes <laughs> we don't exactly know what how she says certain things, so don't judge us too harshly. But yeah. we're trying to protect her too on this. We don't want her to... She's still too young to hear some of this stuff. And it's something that's getting her out of her comfort zone and she's yeah. learning how to... Her communication skills, and yeah. she wants to be a Twitch streamer so bad. So this is a little practice for her. So when she's old enough that she could already be comfortable yeah. in front of the microphone because she gets so nervous. She does. So she feels more comfortable when she's just in here by herself kind of doing her own thing. So that's why we just... Let her do her thing. Yeah. But, um, but just in case... Because I was thinking about this during one of the last episodes, and I was like, oh, God, I hope they don't think that she's actually in here while we're recording all yeah, of this. No. But yeah, she's chilling... In the other room, doing, playing Sims. Doing kids I stuff. got kicked off my account, so I know she was oh. playing Sims. <laughs> Speaking of, oh my gosh, you guys. Sophie knows, and as you people, our friends here know, uh, if you've listened to our previous episodes, we're nerds and we love The Sims. Oh, uh, yeah. And Katie and I both play, we have The Sims 3 and Sims 4, right? Yeah. And Sophie knows, obviously we got her kind of into The Sims 2, and she came showing me this TikTok video of and if you don't know you guys you have to check this out if you're a sims fan so on it's in granite falls right? i was about to say is i couldn't remember what it's yes in granite falls and you'll have to go and probably search it too like because you'll want to like see the visual of where to find this there's a cave you can go into and it takes you kind of like where you can go to like um the magic world or you can go on vacation and do like the safaris or go camping or whatever how it takes you to another world or another location we can go into this cave and it takes you to this little like hidden in the woods by some waterfalls where there's a hermit who lives there. He has a little house. You can go fishing. You can be his friend. Because there's lots of different hidden worlds within the different like towns and stuff. But I had no idea about this one. So I thought that was pretty cool. That was very cool. And we are totally checking that out as soon as we're done recording, by the way. (laughs) Which I, and y'all tell us if this is something you'd be interested in. And we might bring it up in the Facebook group. But Mm -hmm. I think it would be cool to do like a Twitch and us do play, <laughs> play the yeah. Sims and kind of come up with like our own little like yeah. serial killer episodes. Maybe because they have a murder mod, and yeah. maybe we can just yeah, that would be interesting. So Anyways, that could be some future bonus content for yeah. your friends. Patreon, Patreons, remember? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Whatever. Um, but I guess we're just gonna let Sophie come in, tell her story, and yeah, here you go, Sophie. Hello. We will be talking about the Beast of Bray Road. This creature comes from Wisconsin folklore. How this creature got its name is because it was first spotted on Bray Road, Elkhorn, Wisconsin in the 1980s. In 1990s stories of the creature were promoted by a local newspaper, the Wallaworth County. The Beast of Bray Road is most often described between 8 feet and 7 feet tall, with a humanoid style body covered in fur or hair, with a head resembling a wolf or a bear. According to many reports, it has been seen moving on both four legs and two legs, and some reports describe it more closely resembling a traditional werewolf or Bigfoot. It's said that the Beast of Bray Road was first sighted in 1936 
1980s, several people reported that the creature made contact with their vehicles, leaving long scratch marks on the doors and trunks. One person reported that they hit something, but when they went to check, they saw a wolf-like creature with red eyes. It chased them back to their car, leaving claw marks on the passenger side. Sightings have also been reporting during daylight hours with several witnesses stating they observed an, an unusually large wolf-like creature running on all fours through the cornfields. One witness stated they observed the creature in a pursuit of a deer. The Beast of Bray Road was only big in between the 1930s and the 1990s. There are still reportings of the Beast of Bray Road as recent as 2018 and 2020, but are just put aside as bears or wolves, which is what they look like. But anyway, I hope you all enjoy today's cryptid. And uh, yeah, bye. Thanks, Sophie. Thanks, Sophie. <laughs> you did so good. Hold on, what was she doing? I don't know. <laughs> let, me, let me look real quick. Uh, oh, the Beast of Bray Road. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, very interesting, yes. Sophie. Oh, good it was job. super interesting about the Beast of Bray Road, <sighs> which you all now know about. And to be honest, I don't. <laughs> Thank you so much. Because in the last episode, I think we asked y'all to like hype her up. Oh, yes. And, and y'all came through. And you she did. It made her day. She is so happy. So thank you guys for doing that we for definitely, us. We appreciate it. Thank you for fluffing that hair yes. up some more. Because she needed it. She did. Um, but yeah, so I guess we're just going to end this really long episode. Um, <laughs> and just remember next week, it'll be part two for both of ours, yes. which is cool. But if you would like to follow us, like we said, you can go... Straight to our Instagram. It's at Literally Disturbed Podcast. Um, and the link tree is on there. So if you just want to go and find our other social media, but if not, we have a Twitter. It's at Literally D Pod. And we have a Facebook, like Brittany mentioned, where we have the Facebook group. So please join in. It's really fun. And there's like a lot of like mind people to where we can have cool discussions over yeah. topics. And maybe y'all can throw in some suggestions in there, share some stories that we might not have seen. Or and maybe you can send in some questions in the comments and we can talk. Because, I mean, yeah, we're not, like, we're not too cool. We will talk to you. We will be your friend. We'll converse and answer we questions. like and, it. Yeah. We want, we want to be involved with you as you are involved with us. That sounded really This gross. is a two-way street, baby. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, so. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? I will say, because you're not, I am proud of myself for this episode. The derailing was minimal. Uh, it was. And I can was not a pervert. Her, can, we, <laughs> can we all give her a little clap? Yay, Yay Brittany. Oh, by the way, I have dubbed this phenomenon. The literally disturbed. Hold on, what did I call it in my head? She doesn't I, even know. I said it. I said it in the description, and it was really great. But I changed it, so it it was the Britney's. Fuck. Can I just go look? Pause it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I called it Britney's Crash Tastic Scenic Railway, which I found like that. Or I felt like that was the perfect of the derailment. Name. Yes, because we're crash tastic. Crash tastic. And our like, means of telling you. Yeah. And we definitely take the scenic route and everything we talk about because yeah. we can't just do it short, sweet. and No, pretty. you have to know all the details. Yes. That's what I tell people. I'm like, long story short. Short story Short long. story long. Like, I need you to know everything about this. So you understand. And then I need you to go to the different places my squirrel brain takes us. <laughs> and Brittany. So now, yeah. now we're going to dub it the literally disturbed crash-tastic scenic railway. There we go. And yes, yeah, so just for future reference, when... <laughs> 
Get oh, ready to all board. Aboard. Choo, choo, choo. <laughs> all right. We love you guys. guys. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. Bye. And bye.